Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Welcome, Rika, to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yes. Hi, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me. My name is Rika Wilson, and I am a product manager working at Jersey Electricity in the Channel Islands. And I started as a marketer and through the years, working more and more with customers and customer problems, I became really passionate about user experience. And that's how I made it into the world of product management and I never looked back. Great. And and what does the digital workspace mean to you? A digital workspace is everything for me uh, because collaboration is such a key element of, of everything that we do. And without digital tools, we just can't really do them, especially in the last four years. We could have never gone through it without them. And I rely on a set of uh, a massive set of tools to help me in achieving that and help me and the team achieving that. Great. What would be your key tools just so we get an idea of what you're using? Yeah, so we do use quite a few tools, but I think one of them, the main one that I use is Miro. Mm. Uh, which is really, uh, it has been a lifesaver because I always hated needing after a meeting or brainstorming session to take everything that we put up and then needing to write it up. It was just such a waste of time. And also reading your own handwriting after a while, it becomes (laughs) quite tricky. So, yeah, with with Miro, especially as in some of my teams over the years, we had teams that worked in different parts of the world, from Bordeaux to Jersey to Canada. So having everyone in the same room is very difficult, uh, while Miro solves that problem immediately. And it's also so easy to use. Some other tools like but diagramming, they've been always just so difficult. Visio is, is a nightmare for me. Although I do like some of the Microsoft products, is Visio is just, yeah, it, it is very clunky and it doesn't yeah. support collaboration. And with Miro, even using it for voting and things like that, it has been super useful. Yeah, I, I must admit, I'm a, I'm a big fan too. Maybe one day they'll even sponsor us. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Never know. But, yeah, who knows? But, you know, I, I, like you, probably grew up on Visio being my main tool. And it was very difficult to find alternatives to that. I mean, you've got Draw.io, you've got a few others. And before Miro was Miro, I think it was called something else. We were using it. And I think it was called, it was called Rocket something, I think. And it was, you know, even then it was a really, like, just out there, well thought out, clever tool. And I, I'm amazed sometimes, like, when I'm doing a call with someone I'm sharing, like a feature will pop up that I didn't even think was a, was a thing. Like you could do a yeah. talk through and record your talk through of your mirror board. Oh, that's yeah. like so clever. Like that's amazing. And yeah, we've just built two products and we basically built the entire product using mirror boards. That's fantastic. There's almost nothing that sits anywhere else. Okay. Yes. Now we've had to bring it into notion, for example, to give it a little bit of a workflow feel yeah. too, because mirrors are really good for workflow, but, but having the ability to put things into frames to just copy and paste an image, you know, embed a video, amazing from that point of view. So I agree with you. Yeah, and I don't know if you found it that working in asynchronously, it just supports it so much because you can't always work on the same thing at the same time. 
And and as you say, it's because you can do everything in it. We have, for example, user personas are built in it, user journeys, all yeah. these things that otherwise they would have been between Figma and paper and other documents. Now it's all in there. Yeah. And I mean, it, you'll laugh at me, but I actually did my, I wrote a book and I did some designs. All my designs were done in Figma. I don't think in, in Miro. And they said, you know, you can do it in Figma. And I said, no, but I can't do it in Figma. I'm not a, like, figures like very complicated to do, but I could just do so much in, in Miro that the actual images I did in Miro are actually in the book. That's how good a tool it is. Like it's that versatile. That's really good. Yeah, so I'm impressed with it. So tell me about what you do on a day-to-day basis, working electricity. Yes, so my role, well, it is for Jersey Electricity. We are not just an electricity provider, but also looking at how we can enable life's essentials and and inspire a zero carbon future. This is our vision and what we are really trying to work hard for. So over the last few years, we've been looking at how we can actually do that. And one work stream is the e-mobility work stream. And I'm leading the the product development on that side. When it comes to immobilities, obviously there are quite a few aspects, and we have been we started a few years ago by developing a strategy, and also looking at how what other products are needed for end customers when it comes to charging electric vehicles. We are we concentrate initially on that, but we are concentrating on the entire immobility aspect going forward. And we have home charging. The team have set up five years ago a public charging network. And we are currently working on how we can extend that, invest in it, and just make sure that we are ready as an infrastructure, which we are from a public perspective, but we do want to make sure that we do give it our best. And we are there for the customers where and when they need us. So my role is really exciting because I've always was very passionate about sustainability. I worked with one of the biggest international environmental charity, the Jersey Zoo, and it was it's just it's so important in our lives to do whatever we can we can't do everything in this and this is obviously my perspective uh, personal perspective is that but we we can't do everything but we can do little bits as long as we do our best to do them we can make a change yeah Yeah, i can imagine i mean there was an episode i did with dan a while ago and i always get the name of his company wrong but what they do is they look at the companies and what their sustainability is and then you can do your own sort of sustainability score where you put in, like, I bank with Barclays, I bank with Mira, with Monzo, et cetera, et cetera. And then he will tell you, like, your what your personal carbon emissions are based on who you use. And then he will provide alternatives to bank with, for example, or in, in the stuff. And I think that's, that there's little things that we could all do potentially Absolutely. make a difference. Um, yes. And as you said, Isaac, even through banking, but also even through the platforms that we're using, because, yeah, uh, as we were talking about Miro, there's also a lot of companies that have been investing heavily in the last few years on making sure that their processes and everything that supports these software packages that we're using are um, sustainable to as a great degree as possible. And obviously, like the likes of Microsoft and, and AWS, they've been having a roadmap towards decarbonization for a very long time, which is great to see, but there's still a way to go. Yeah, look, I mean, I think with any of these things, you are moving sort of the Titanic of issues because it is big and, and no one believes the icebergs exist. And, and I mean, you can look at anything and find the scientists that support your view, either for or against global warming so I think that's tricky but in, in the same token I mean I look at like we buy a lot of food from the grocery store and, and you get so much packaging with it and you just think well do we need all this packaging like my recycling bin is full of 
recycling from food. And I've noticed that when we were in South Africa, it's not nearly as much. And it's just because the I don't say that the choices are different. I think practically it didn't make sense to have as much packaging for food there. So we don't have as big a recycling challenge, if you like. And it's silly, but it's just a it's a big thing when you when you take it on a scale of 40, 50 million people. If they all have excessive packaging, then it's it's a big problem. And look at straws, how that's changed. Yeah. And know. small changes, as you say. Yeah. And I've noticed the same. It's interesting what you say about the South Africa, because I noticed the same in France. We do go over quite often there and it's it just the amount of packaging there. It's far less than here, I find it. Uh, yeah. Like even when it comes to just like the usual veg, everything is without packaging, except the salads, which still like obviously because it's <laughs> pre-packaged but we're not eating salads <laughs> yeah look i mean there's an interesting thing and i don't know if i think it's france that allows it now but we, you know we so i grew up in south africa and food waste is not a problem in south africa like if you have extra food you can give it to somebody mm-hmm. on the street to eat it like there's, there's it's not you know it's actually seen as a sort of public service in some respects like we had because you know the unemployment's quite high and there's a lot of poverty and stuff so if you cook and you've got extra food instead of throwing it away you can give it to somebody, literally walk out the door and give it to them. But living in the UK, you can't do that. You're not allowed to. And I know like when we used to do catering functions, you couldn't give away the catering food per se, because if you made somebody sick, because they weren't used to whatever was in the food, there was issues there. But the general household could do what they needed to do. And I think I recently saw something in France where they've allowed you to do that now. So at the end of the day, you can actually sell the food at a much discounted price, even if it's expired. Or give it to somebody who needs it because you don't want to waste the food. Because that's the biggest crime is wasting food in some respects. So Yeah, especially like in the last few years when poverty has increased so much everywhere in the world. And that, that's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't know about that in, in France. Yeah, it was it was recent, probably last five years or, or three years. And I mean, we have this issue here, like at home, like, you know, if, if we have extra food and no one eats it and we throw it away, we actually like physically feel not ill, but like, like we really should. Like I'll eat stuff just because I'd rather it gets eaten than, than gets wasted. But anyway, that's that's not a digital problem. That's a that's a humanity problem. So, I mean, the e-mobility thing is interesting for me because, you know, I, I would have thought by now the amount of electric cars would have actually been a lot higher. Now, again, South Africa has huge power problems, so I don't see electric vehicles there ever. Very few, maybe 5% of the thing, everything's petrol and diesel. In the UK, if I look outside, I've got two electric cars out of all my neighbours, and there's six neighbours. So three electric cars. So it's not it's not a prodigious thing there. I mean, what's it like in Jersey? Are, are people moving to electric or is it? Yes, people are, and there is a wide concept about trying to be helping towards becoming carbon neutral. However, as with everything, there is also there the the financial aspect. And as we know, electric vehicles are quite expensive, even now. And with Jersey being an island, it mm. is really hard to bring everything in. And the market for secondhand vehicles is still quite in its development, is in infancy. There is quite a lot of work that needs to be done, but there there are a lot of organizations that are working together and making this happen. Now, throughout, also like in the last period, the government has launched an incentive scheme, similarly to what the UK has done earlier, uh, incentivizing people to purchase a new to to change mm-hmm. if they need to to an electric vehicle. And also there's an incentive scheme when it comes to having an EV charger at home, which all helps. And it is, even if we remove, we remove the financial aspect, there's 
there are still really a lot of good petrol and diesel cars out there. And it makes sense to change them at the right time and right pace. We do want to support people in in achieving when it when they need it to get an EV and to get the, the charging as easy as possible. Because if we think about it, yes, the electric vehicle costs a lot up front. But when it comes to the maintenance of it, even without calculating the petrol and, and the diesel costs, mm. that would be replaced by electricity, which would be considerably lower. The maintenance costs are, are just reduced by such a large amount that maintaining it, it's easier, but purchasing it upfront, it is a bit more difficult. So yeah, it is still quite in, an, it's in, in its infancy. And we do hope that we are going to see a bigger pickup in the next few years. Yeah, I think it'll come. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a level of, and I'm gonna say petrol heads, but there are people that like the sound of a diesel, sound of the diesel petrol car. There's, you know, I mean, I can't say it's necessarily a power difference. I mean, we had a we had a BMW electric vehicle for about a month, and it was X3 that had been rebuilt as an electric car, and I mean, I, that thing was amazing to drive because yeah. it, it was fast off the mark. The weight was in the middle, so you could do a corner like being in a go kart. I mean, in fact, it was dangerous to drive because it was because of fun. the power. Yeah. yeah. And and they are. It was interesting that over the years there have been so many myths around electric vehicles and my my colleagues, they, they have been working really hard in trying to to bust some of them. And like one of them, yeah, it was the power. But actually, as you said, is that in an electric vehicle, you don't have to wait for the motor to, to start working. It works automatically. Yeah. But also it's like the range. It, it's a different myth that it is still around. Mm. And the newer cars are having bigger and bigger ranges. Like some of them have over 300 miles. Now with, with Jersey, such a small island, you definitely do not need that. You wouldn't need to charge for months in a row. Yeah. Um, but when you go like obviously on, on holidays to the UK or France, then obviously it's a different situation. But even there, the, the charging networks have evolved so much that you don't have to worry about it. We have like uh, like the EV platform that was implemented by my colleagues earlier in the year. It has roaming partners all throughout the world. So you don't have to download multiple platforms and use them. You can have just one. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, I was impressed with with that, just with a little bit that, I, that we drove around. I, I mean, pulling into a parking at a, at a supermarket and you and you charging there for while you're shopping. I mean, I don't think I've actually ever went lower than ninety percent in all the time we had it because it's a funny kind of anxiety in a sense because you always, you know, every every night you get home, you make sure the car's plugged in, even though it's at ninety five percent or something. And the next morning it's it's at one hundred percent. You're like, okay, cool, that's done. But then it's weird because now you don't pop past the petrol station anymore. So you don't pop in for like going to the, we have a Waitrose bias so, uh, at the Shell. So going to the Waitrose at the Shell, but you're not putting in fuel is like a weird experience because now you're not there for your main purpose anymore. Now you're there for the, the secondary purpose. And, and they were char- the charging points there now as well. So that's a really thing. And, and I spoke to a few people that were taking the electric vehicles on long distances into Europe. And the only gripe that I, I sort of picked up from them is not so much that there weren't enough bays, it was more case that some of the vehicles didn't have the fast charge capability. So if you're doing 300 miles and you were stopping, you would need to wait an hour for the vehicle to charge up enough to do the next yeah. leg, which is fine if you're going to stop for lunch and you've got, like, we've got kids so you want them to run around, stretch your leg, et cetera. But if you're a businessman who's trying to, or a businesswoman trying to get somewhere quickly and filling your car up takes 10 minutes, 
that 50 minutes is a problem. So, you know. Yeah, and, and technology it. has evolved oh. in the last period and, and the newer cars, they do support it. But it's interesting that you made a, a really a valid point about how customer behaviors change, that you're anxious about making sure that it's charged all the time, even if it is at 95%. And it, it reminds me a little bit of when we initially had the mobile phones and we were like, I just don't want to run out of it. And customer behavior and, and, and the way that our psychology changes because we are, this is so different from, from a petrol charging is yeah. really, really exciting to see. And it's a big challenge of changing that for us as users and for me as a product manager is a really, really interesting tra- challenge to see how we can but, motivate and, and make people understand that you don't have to be that worried. will probably last you, depending on your vehicle, either 60 or 200 miles. Yeah, and and that was the thing that I struggled with. And obviously, I only had one car, so I I can't say this is all the cars. But with with a a petrol vehicle or a diesel vehicle, you kind of know how far you can go. Like it's a week before I have to flip or or whatever your activities are. And we we didn't have that feeling with the electric car, which we would have probably got over a period of time. You know, if if, if this this is probably a very minor thing. For all the benefits of be, of driving the vehicle, you know the thing that I used to, I loved about that thing was it was so smart that I could tell it every morning at seven o'clock you need to start warming up. So by the time we got in the car at seven thirty to take the kids to school, the car was ready to go. You literally getting you turn on whatever. The, the safety gripe I actually had is the car was too quiet, and we have an electric car in, in our lab across the road, and her car you can't hear it. And I actually said to her, I'm pretty sure there's a there's actually a law that you have to have a certain noise level for the vehicle because of pedestrians. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it just it, it's probably the gripe that you get because people want that noise of that you're used to when you're growing up. You know? That's it. And it's going to take some time. I know that I've read articles in the industry that some automakers were actually looking at adding on a noise, mainly because of this that people needed mm. uh, psychologically that noise to make sure that they understand that because when you hear a car you don't have to see it you just know that it is a car with an electric one it's so silent that you we don't have that connection in our minds yet so it's going to be an interesting one and it's going to take quite a while I think until we all get to comfortable with the different aspects and from product management perspective this is going to be great for car manufacturers because it is like constantly challenging them to make yeah. sure that they provide the product that not just that it answers the the question from getting from point A to point B in a, a sustainable way, but also is like how it answers all these other questions from from a consumer behavior perspective. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the ultimate product challenge because you've got so many interconnected things. And I mean, you know, the, the safety thing for my son, he's five. You know, he rides his bike and I got, and I keep explaining to him, you've got to watch out for cars. And he goes, yeah, but I can't hear them. I said, yes, I know. Now, is it, well, you say, I, I don't hear them. And then therefore I don't need to watch, look for them. And I'm like, no, but you're missing the point. You've got to now look for the car because you can't hear the car because it doesn't make a noise. And and it's difficult f- even for him. I and mean, he's growing up in this in this era where electric cars exist. They're, they're commonplace. In fact, you know, from a school point of view, they're, I don't want to say brainwashing, it's not the right word, but they are enforcing that electric cars are the only option. So he's now looking at our cars going, we need to have electric cars. And I'm saying, well, we don't have to have electric cars because we've got the most fuel efficient, low emission vehicles on the road. So, you know, we've done we've done the right thing in that respect. Now, what's interesting for me around that is their education is not taking into account like that some roles require different vehicles to do different things. So I still think you will have 
a level of petrol diesel engine that we hybrid for example you're you know our vehicles are hybrid it's not a, it's not a it's a diesel with a hybrid, with an electric motor okay. and it self charges so it's not just a case of everything has to always be all or nothing it could be combinations of things and i mean I, my other car's got a hydrogen thing not a hydrogen sorry liquid liquid okay. gas so i've got two tanks yeah. and and yeah the liquid gas thing is amazing because one, it costs half the price as petrol. And I know we, we're going to be a of a car discussion here, but I found the, the power I got with the, the LPG to be that little bit better than petrol. Well, that's and interesting. I, and I was surprised by that because because it's the same engine processing two different fuels. And I would expect it actually the LPG to be worse. And because I find LPG gas here worse than in South Africa, uh, not as strong. But I actually get a little bit extra oomph out of it. So it's just an interesting bunch of choices, I guess. Yeah. And I think again, like having my product hat on is that giving customers choice on what they want to achieve and what their needs are is key. And an education over over time of what is the best way for your own needs and for the planet's needs mm. is very important. Things are not always black and white. Yeah. I used to think that things are very black and white, but over the years, the more that you work in product management and marketing, you realize that actually there are different colors. Well, and, and it's about sequencing sometimes. Some things happen in a certain order and you've got to start with a little win and, and then becomes a bigger thing, for sure. There was something else I wanted to ask you about, which I, I was saying, I can't remember what it was now. It was what you were saying before I said, explaining the safety thing with my son. I mean, well, maybe, maybe on a renewable side, I mean, how much renewable energy are you guys bringing in and how is that affecting your approach in, in this space? All the energy that we bring in is renewable. Oh, all of it. Okay. Wow. Yes. Yeah, it is something that the company has been very passionate about because obviously it, it is so important for everything. And one thing that I really liked in, in the company when I joined, I joined just over a year ago, and it was the fact that they are not just, you find a lot of companies that love to talk about sustainability very loud, but mm. not necessarily everyone walks the walk to the full extent. Yeah. And with with Jersey Electricity, I found that actually they are they do care a lot about that. They care a lot about a few things, but sustainability is one of the main things. And diversity and inclusion is another one. It is just so important on the agenda, which which is obviously really good uh, considering the new generations that are coming up. It, it is going to be very important. And with the the sourcing of electricity, they have been very clear about that. Yeah, <laughs> and also like with our within our team within product management, we have a, a solar team looking at different types of solar energy. There there are different discussions about how we can support this and looking at energy efficiency. Uh, we have a team that's working on that, on home heating. So we are looking from a totally different perspective at everything as how we can support the sustainability side. And and, and, and is your majority of your your energy from solar and wind, or have you got other stuff as well? No, it, it's uh, majority of it is imported from France, and uh, okay. it is based on nuclear. Oh, nuclear as well. Okay. Oh, so is nuclear considered sustainable? I suppose it would be clean. Yeah. 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 I mean, fusion would would make sense because I thought maybe you would have some tidal as well. Yes, there have been discussions over the years. However, at the moment, the challenge with tidal is that it is a very it before its infancy. And we are in Jersey, we are in a great place because we have one of the largest tidal movements in the world. But it just the technology, because it's not quite there and making sure that we find the right solution for the right place. It's going to take a lot of time 
and within the last period like both both the government and and also our jersey electricity have been looking a lot at also the wind because again as an island we have plenty of it <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure you do yeah it's funny we were in mossel bay recently uh, back in april i was there for four months and that that's a on the on the edge of the coast and the, i mean the wind there is phenomenal but because you have sun most houses have solar and the, the uk has done the right thing in the sense they've mandated you have to do one kilowatt of solar energy with every new build. So each house has to generate their own. South Africa is on mandated, but most people have to because of load shedding and, and poorly maintained power supplies. But I mean, is Jersey mandating that all to, to houses and businesses or? No, no not from my knowledge. Yeah, because it's interesting. So, so like in South Africa, and there was actually an article yesterday, I think. So where I grew up in Johannesburg, there's a big, there's a couple, it's a, it's a brand called Macro, but it's basically the Walmart, they're owned by Walmart now, but it's the mm-hmm. sort of like a Costco. And what they've done is they've covered all their parking lots. So you can imagine sort of a you know, kilometer square parking lot with a roof of solar panels, plus on top of the roof of the store. And that basically powers the entire, because I mean, South Africa gets a lot of sun, so you can pretty much power the entire building on solar power. And it's a huge expense. But actually, if you think about it from a return on investment point of view, it's a huge return because they're basically off the grid. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because we went to Disneyland in Paris earlier in the year and they have the biggest solar array over their uh, car park. It's just massive. It goes on and on and on. There are some videos online about it. But when you see it in person, it's just like you feel so tiny in it. But I really appreciate it because, as you say, is that it is a a massive expense up front, but it supports them. And especially in areas where you don't have 100 percent sustainable energy, it it just supports both the sustainability side and everyone's lives. Yeah. And and it's such I mean, it's such an obvious thing. Like you have all the sun. I I remember and and this is a, a terrible reference, but. When I first started watching the first Superman, when Christopher Reeve was still Superman, and his arch nemesis was his brother who was made from through the power of the sun, and he'd lose his power if he didn't have thing. And even in those days, I was thinking, why don't we, as a kid, thinking, why don't we use the, the energy from the sun to power things? I mean, solar panels weren't even probably even. I mean, they're probably being thought about, but not really built. And and I can't believe how efficient they've become. I think the first ones were like twenty percent collection, and now they're at like forty percent or something like that yeah. uh, i don't know what the latest that is but yeah i must admit it's like i don't really know the detail i have a team that are really they are I'm the sure, best yeah, yeah. at it and they know it but there are a lot of and you make a valid point that it has such a big opportunity the sun itself and there have been over the years a lot of organizations investing in solutions like there are some really interesting and and solutions within asia and and, and arabia of actually harnessing this without the standard solar array and it is gonna i I, from my perspective like i see as all of this is just is growing having solar panels is probably just the start but obviously as i said i'm not the expert on the social well and to answer the question so originally they were 15 to 20 percent efficient now they're at 42 percent in most cases and the best one i got is 47.1 percent now what's interesting about that for me is that the combustion engine is about 50% efficient as well. So it's kind of an interesting correlation in some respect, because the one is free energy and the other one is, you know, pulled out the ground and, and manufactured and, and all that kind of stuff. But to your point around future stuff, I, I have seen a couple of things that were interesting. One was a brick that could absorb solar radiation and turn that into energy. 
and a panel that's basically see-through glass. So you can't even see the collection panel. Now, I don't know how close that is to production, but that is crazy. If that, if you think about all those glass buildings that exist. That's exactly it. Or glass in any building, any house. Crazy. Great. I'm pretty much good for there. I don't know anything else you want to talk about. Yeah, I know that we've talked a lot about e-mobility and we haven't necessarily talked about like digital, well, the tools and technology. So uh, it's up to you. Like, you know well, well, better exactly what fits what you envisage for, for it. I mean, I think it's I think it's all related. In fact, the, oh, that was what I was going to say to you. So, so the interesting thing that I have been trying to do for ages, and I finally did it, is because I mean, I come from South Africa. You know, I grew up in Johannesburg, where even in winter, it was it's warmer than than the UK. You know, it can start at minus four, but it could be still twenty degrees by lunchtime. So when we moved here, you know, obviously paying for heating and gas and all that kind of stuff was quite an expensive. It was still cheaper than, you know, it was still cheaper in those days compared to now. But one of the things that always bugged me is if you've got heating running in your house and it's not, and it was always this dumb heating. So you'd set your dial to 19 degrees or whatever it was, and then the house would just basically sit at that temperature. But you couldn't turn your heating off or on or anything like that because in those, when I moved here, you didn't have a smart sort of thermostat. You just had what you had. And then, of course, you had Hive come out and you had all these other ones come out. So, so this week, and this is why I'm excited, because I finally got my intelligent house working. So now if anybody opens a door or window, heating turns off. And when they, close it, when they close the doors or windows, the heating comes back on again. And then it's also geofenced. And I've, I've been sort of playing with it for a couple of weeks. And I've actually seen like a 20% drop in my energy bill. Because it was very like, I did a very like uh, analog in the sense of running with timers. And now that I've got the smart things working, now it's done based on event. So I'm interested to see what the future will hold in that respect. But but just having the 20% reduction, you know, because when I when we were we were back in South Africa during COVID, my energy bill was like 70 pounds a month. We came back and it was that period where everything just went a bit crazy. And my bill went from like 70 to like 350. Now it's kind of gone down again, but now there's talks of it going up again. And I, this is why I wanted to get it working. Because I think that's an important part of this this sort of chain that, that we talked about, where, you know, as a supplier, you can provide the energy all the way down the line to your business or to your business premise or your or your residential premise. But the, the person or the people that run those things need to also do their part to be as efficient as possible. And the smart meters help, but it's also the internal stuff like turning on off unnecessary appliances, turning off aircon if you don't need it, and, and heating, et cetera, et cetera. So all those things. And I was curious to know how far you guys went in that regard from a, maybe it's just education and guidance to almost providing smarter technology in the house. Yeah, no, very interesting point. We do have one of our product teams is actually focusing on energy efficiency and how we can find new products, uh, new solutions that would help customers in this. Our technology team has been looking also at, at the likes of Nest, and we are selling it within the shop in the powerhouse. But yeah. uh, we have been looking a lot at how we can support customers, especially through through the last few years, as you said, that things have just gone up and foot wages ne didn't necessarily keep up everywhere. And the team have been really putting on a big effort on looking at how we can help people being energy efficient. And our comms team have launched not long ago a new campaign looking at energy efficiency with a, a great new face. It's called Mow the Slow, who helps people out and provides that educational part. 
And I think like that is, is like putting a friendly face and helping people understanding how these things, as you say, just switching things off at the right time, not having your heating on when you have the windows open, not filling up your kettle to the extreme when you just need one, one cup of tea, the little things. The little things yeah. add up, as we were saying also at the beginning of, of, of our chat, is that every little counts. You don't have to do everything at once. You can start yeah. small and just add on bit by bit. And our team have been concentrating a lot on that. And we hope that we are going to be able to help more and more people on island with that. Yeah, and I think it's yeah, so largely saying that's education. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. He's got this thing about tiny houses, which which is something he's involved in, where they're almost 3D printing so yeah. this friend of mine, they're, they're, they're manufacturing or they, they're basically 3D printing to an extent, tiny houses. And I was quite interested in this because, I mean, I've watched a few YouTube videos ages ago, but I actually hadn't taken into account some of the stuff they're doing. So the, the whole thing for them is they get, so when you go build a house now, instead of getting brick and mortar and cement and, and insulation and all that stuff, they basically give you a wall that has been pre-built. And that, that wall has already got all the wiring in it that it needs all the insulation needs and it's got special connectors to connect it together to create your house so you can create you know it's not all meant to build a, a six bedroom or 12 bedroom house but it's meant to build a reasonably sized small house but what we were talking about is if you go down that route of of modularized housing and this is obviously you know one of the videos i had watched was an elon musk thing going to mars and, and all that stuff but if you go down this route where you're now using specific materials and going you know the conversation around solar panels and, and solar glass and, and all that stuff your sustainability goes up because you, you're now able to, you build that house, you you live in that house, you need to extend your house. So, you know, we've got kids, so we need to have more rooms than the average two-person relationship. So we need four rooms, for example, five rooms. You could just add on the module for the extra room and you get your different spec of wall. So three meter, four meters, five meter. So you wouldn't necessarily get the three and a half meter, but you'd get pre pre-built walls that you can just plug in and, and build. I make it sound really easy, but it's not, you know, there's obviously some some cranes involved and whatever it is to build a house. But what we were saying is that you could go and expand your house on while you've got the kids there. And when the kids leave, instead of moving to a downsizing house, you sell off the walls and the components mm -hmm. conceivably to be recycled to go build new walls. And and what he was saying is that is the, is the, the materials they're using have got like a 200 year lifespan. So oh, that's great. You know, in theory, I mean, there's obviously, you know, who's going to check it? Who's going to check it in 200 years? But the point being is that if you were in the market to go and let's say you go build a hunting lodge or a thing in the middle of the wilderness, you're not going to go necessarily go buy the brand new materials. You go buy a couple secondhand walls and you go build yeah. it there and and then see how it goes. And if it goes well, then you'd probably invest more. But but that whole concept, because if you look at an average house, you know, that, that's been built hundred years ago, the, the insulation, the the all that stuff is so bad. A lot of those houses have to be gutted and redone. And and that, you know, obviously has a huge cost implication. So most people don't do it. And and really the best thing to do in those cases is to flatten it and to build a new house, which again is a huge thing. But but if this concept came along and, and you look at I mean I, as I say South Africa, you know, there's a, a huge amount of, of informal housing, which is basically shacks that are made out of corrugated iron and wood and whatever else they can find. And we'll forget about the corruption side of things, but to go build these tiny houses, which is why this conversation came up, because that's he's, he's also from Africa. You know, your, your concept of giving people a roof over their head, a sustainable roof over their heads, re repurposing materials like those corrugated iron sheets are part of the part of the wall anyway. So they would have materials, that, the thing, and you can teach people how to build the walls. This is the other interesting thing is that some mm. of the walls are actually almost like kits that you can go and buy. And that's you've got interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's it's an I mean. 
you know, I, I don't know the name of the products and stuff like that, but how that's come along. And I was just, we were just saying, like, if you had a piece of land and you wanted to go and build 20 houses, your time to build 20 houses is basically limited by the number of walls you can build in a factory. And they literally are, because they're so repeatable, you're literally just building 100 walls a day. Yeah. So you can build a house in like a month. Um, yeah, and the modular design is it, so important. Like obviously seeing it from products and in software products that I worked with before, we always try to be as modular as possible. And it, it's like in real life with these things, it actually has such a massive impact, as you say, because you can. And I really like that idea of like you grow it until it, while you need it, and then you can just downsize it when you don't need it. Um, yeah. really like that idea and and initially i thought when we talked about it, it was all rectangular squares no they've even they can do stuff at angles too so you can have a 45 degree or a 49 degree angle and stuff like that and then the roof the way they do the roof that's the part that's that's difficult to make reusable that that kind of fits whatever your layout is yeah. but if you stick to a really rectangular thing then your cost is then kept low because it's just rectangle square whatever it is and then the way they do that is basically just panels in a row that mm -hmm. they connect up but then they that's the part that is it has to be weatherproofed and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's very difficult to reuse that part mm -hmm. as it stands. But it's still reusable stuff. You can still recycle it. You can melt it down and that stuff. So it's a fascinating space. So I'm very curious to see how that goes because there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, for simpler houses and, and more componentized houses, which goes back to the smart yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But. And it's interesting to see. Like I, One of the reasons why I love working in, in product, whether it is in software, as I've done before, like working on identity verification products and location verification up to even the websites that we were doing and, and, and apps and now working in e-mobility. It's all just like everything because of where we are from an innovation perspective, everything is pushing towards becoming better, more sustainable, more mindful of what our needs are and what each other's needs are. Yeah. And and that's one of the great things that I love about what I do and, and the user-centered design approach to it, because we can really make some great things and and, and do some change in the world, do our little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, in in some respects, it's a very daunting, overwhelming thing. But then, if you break it down into the small bits, which is really what what product management to me is about, breaking down into very small bits and putting in the right order, then you get you get great results. So awesome! I'm interested to see what what you come up with, and and I'd love to you know if you ever have anything you want to share with us to have a look at, please yeah. do. Thank you. We'll so keep in the loop. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we will. Super. So if anyone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way? Email in general, it's good because I I do have. A lot of meetings, I must admit, though. I can't be necessary, but get hold a lot of the times on the phone. But yeah, by email, it's absolutely fine. Okay, so we'll, we'll put your email there. And then obviously LinkedIn as well, if, if they want to look you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Email or LinkedIn, yeah, that, that that's probably the best. Well, it's been great having you on and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much, Ryan, for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.